0: Two.
1: growing up in america bob sanborn here from children at Risk, along with uh claire dutre claire how are you doing today
2: i am good it's almost the ho- well, it is the holidays lights in the heights is this weekend
1: can't complain oh, lights in the heights have you walked around yet in there
2: i haven't it's my fourth year here and i still haven't done it
1: so. yeah it's Plug a big form. deal it's like a big deal we usually do it um um on uh, Christmas Eve is usually when we oh, do the lights and
2: the heights. Cool. Yes, yeah,
1: so or it's a fun little tradition. Yeah. Uh, and not as many cars around that time either. So it's yeah. sort of a fun thing. So uh, I've been gone for a few weeks. You've been holding the fort down mostly?
2: We have. Who have we had? We had Paul on, of course, classic. He's now asking to come here once a month. Not yeah. his words, but... But <laughs> his actions, I know he loved it. Uh, we had Daya on for a segment last week, so we've had some some new voices for our listeners. Oh, that's Good, very
1: yeah. good, and we have a great show today, by the way. Here on gr- on uh, Growing Up in America, uh, this is Growing Up in America here on ninety point one Pacifica Radio, and uh, this is a discussion on our children, public policy, and how we do as a community when it comes to taking care of every single one of our children. Uh, the date of the day today, one thirty one. One hundred and thirty one thousand seven hundred and ninety seven. I feel like it's it's about some kids or something. What do you think? What do you you No, That's not
2: really a lot of kids. So I'm going to say that's the number of kids who are sad about going on break (laughs) and they're going to miss school.
1: Okay. There you go. Uh, Also, we're going to have Travis Evans on the program. He's a Southern regional director for the young invincibles. They're a great group amplifying the voices of young adults in the political process and really trying to expand economic opportunity for uh, the next generation. Also with us, Dr. Catherine Byers, she's with the Houston food bank. Uh, She's uh, does government relations for them. And we're going to talk about uh, solving food insecurity uh, and how that sometimes is not really about food. Hmm. Doesn't it's that deep. sound interesting?
2: Yeah. it's Like a book cover.
1: Uh, Shabra Endley as our regular, she's with communities and schools. She's the director of mental health and wellness there. And she's going to talk with us a little bit about preparing students for the holidays. And then we'll wrap up the show, uh, today with uh, Lindsay wilkerson who's the director of uh, health and special projects over at children at risk talking about health and children and we'll be uh, discussing uh, that whole big topic we're going to do the whole a to z on health to children i know so that's a lot going there. on this show so uh right after the break we'll do thumbs up thumbs down and today's thumbs up thumbs down is should pets be given as holiday presents before we go there did you ever receive a pet as a holiday present
2: no, and if my Secret sin is listening, I would not like one. So, you don't want
1: one. Okay. No, pre- no, no pet. No pet for you. All right. After the break, we'll give that the rundown on thumbs up, thumbs down. We'll be right back. It's. little taylor she was uh, today i heard she's person of the year is that what her she deal is, is?
2: Yeah. she's my person of every year but i'm <laughs> glad the world caught up for 2023
1: <laughs> so that's good uh today on thumbs up thumbs down should pets be given as holiday presents um you never received you know i do rem- i was thinking i've never received a pet as a present but i remember one easter Growing up in Puerto Rico, I got a little chick like that was dyed. Oh. You know, they dye them in the egg, and so they're okay. born, and it was pink or blue or something. So, something oh. unnatural. I didn't and know that's and, how they did it. And and, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I feel about pets as gifts for Christmas. You know, natural, unnatural. It's unnatural.
2: <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea, but. No, you're giving them a, a small child, essentially. And it is a. I mean, we're going to pro and con them, but thinking yeah, of yeah. my brother got one for his birthday. And then it became my parents' responsibility. A dog or a cat? What did he a t- get? We are not a cat family. So you got no a dog. Yeah. yeah. A cat dog. Wow. And yeah.
1: A, And your parents ended up taking care of the dog.
2: Yeah. They still, to this well, he did pass away last month, Rip Toby. But to oh, this day, they were taking R. care R. I. of him. Rip Toby. I know. This one's for you. But I remember him being excited. And then it is teaching them a responsibility. And you're going to have that pet for the next. Six, seven, eighteen years,
1: I could see the joy on a child's face though right when yeah. they open up a box or they hear a box moving around and they're a little scared, maybe a little excited, <laughs> and then the box pops open, and then here's like I just imagine like a a, a puppy golden retriever popping out of there. It is a cute picture. But I just can't imagine. I mean, it's it is such a responsibility. It's so expensive. Now, growing up in Puerto Rico when we had pets, they were always outside and I don't I don't know that we ever bought dog food. It was just always leftovers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so if that's the case, you know, giving away a pet, it's almost harmful to the do- to the well, dog i'm gonna
2: say first if the person didn't ask i don't think a pet would ever be on yeah. the list too i think i'll surprise them with a new responsibility in life um, unless it's a fish and an inside joke or something but, but yeah but what if they ask is...
1: what if your little daughter claire you have to not really... that you have one but what no, if your little daughter uh said you know mom i really would like a, a little dog for for yeah. christmas that's what that's my number one gift request and she's 10 years old what would you say i
2: know and if i don't do it santa's not real i will convince her to get a frenchie and then i'll be really happy or i'll do one of those my first i mean they're getting what's a frenchie is a a... small french bulldog okay that comes a that, nice that's place.
1: very trendy right now. Isn't the French Bulldogs sort of I, Well, I
2: just like little dogs that barely could breathe. Not for the sake <laughs> yeah. of anybody; but yeah. I, they're just adorable and squish. And I know it comes with a lot of responsibility. And I don't want to breed them, but if it's at a pound. Um, but Or I'd go to the dogs that are getting realistic that you use a remote control for. So she's young oh, enough yeah. to that's that will break real quick. I well no no okay. I'll have some extra batteries in hand okay. and or a neopet perhaps maybe a video game. Yeah. I'll see where I can massage because it is thinking of if I'm a family that travels a lot, what's going to happen with the pet if I am out of the house a lot? Am I neglecting the pet? Is it going to be back in a pound? So a I also think it's a golden
1: opportunity to. Uh, instead of getting a pet as uh, a gift, yeah. that it's something that you think about with your child. What does this mean? What are right. you going to do? Let's go down to the CPA yeah. and uh, adopt a shelter. dog. And this is why we're doing this. Instead of going and buying one, uh, let's get the dog fixed first. Yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of a great learning opportunity. And I get sort of the bright joy when you see the child sort of po- – the the child the the dog pop out yeah. of the box but i think there's a lot of missed opportunity when that happens but yeah. that that being said i think we're sounding like a couple of scrooges because <laughs> there are people out there that love the pets and they yeah. think giving a pet it's is easier like than the, the greatest... your sibling yeah, yeah so
2: i'll say that but i agree take them to the the pound and let it be an adoption um, not breeding yeah very good
1: yeah. All right, coming up after the break, we're going to be going right into our next guest. Travis Evans is with us, the Southern Regional Director for Young Invincibles. We'll be right back with the Young Invincibles. So, Frenchies are indeed the most popular um, dog brand in America right
2: now. Very my nose. trendy,
1: but you know you're super trendy though, right? I, I mean, am, you are yeah. very trendy. I mean, Taylor Taylor Swift Frenchies, Frenchy. and so uh, so I'm
2: predictable. there's some unpredictable no you're not
1: uh, you're not predictable at all hey let's go to the phone uh we have uh on the on the line we have travis evans with us the southern regional director for the young invincibles one of the issues uh travis that you guys have been working on at young invincibles is opportunity youth so i want to go right into that but travis thanks for being on the growing up in america program today
3: yes thank you for having me
1: talk a little bit about opportunity youth and what that is travis
3: Yes, so, uh, I'm Travis. Let's introduce myself. I'm, uh, Travis Evans, the Southern Regional Director at, uh, Young Invincibles, affectionately known as YI. And our mission is to uplift the voices of young adults in the political process, uh, using policy and advocacy to improve economic, uh, perspective for young people, uh, especially those who are racialized young adults from low income communities. Um, And we really have a a presence uh, based in Washington, D.C., California, Texas, uh, Illinois, Colorado, and also New York. And so we're all about uplifting the voice of young adults. Uh, When we think about uh, who our opportunity youth are, uh, we define uh, opportunity youth uh, as young adults who are 16 to 24, who are disconnected from work and education. And there are young adults who are in a critical development time period, uh, we refer to them as emerging adults, uh, which is uh, a great potential for individual growth through their exploring independence and life opportunities. And at YI, we see that many of our young adults are underserved. So we aim to fix that, whether that be not being able to afford health care, uh, being able to pursue higher education, pursue a career, a degree in some field that they're passionate about, um affordable basic needs we want to really help share their story and make effective policy change for those young adults
2: travis something i love about yi is that you started in a cafeteria and just grew from there can you speak a little bit about as you outreach to more students and teach them about financial literacy and economic impact how it really empowers the groups and grows the collective voice at the
3: capitol Yeah. So our story is is so special. A group of students uh, in 2009 uh, were motivated to, you know, really recognize the voice of young adults um, and healthcare reform, you know, was really their, their focus. And this group of students came together really to push the voice uh, for young adults uh, that were un- underrepresented. Um, and they began to think about things like the Affordable Health Care Act and how can we really push that and get more young adult voices heard and uh, really empower young adults to really speak on those issues beyond health care, but higher education, uh, workforce readiness, um, and also uh, civic engagement. So... Um, Yeah, our story is special. Young adults have been coming together. That's why we have uh, several young adult programs uh, here in Texas from our young advocacy program where young adults come, they tackle issue areas, they meet with legislators, they really learn that grassroots advocacy piece and really... really drive forward, um, you know, change, uh, policy change, and they really uplift the community and educate the communities on what things that young adults need and want to see changed in the state of Texas. Um, and I love that this just really ties into our uh, organization's strategy and to really tackle those issues at the national level as well.
1: Travis, um, you know, I've known you for for a while and you always sort of bring passion to every project you're involved in. And I think that when you look at the young invincibles, one of the things about being the southern regional director and being in Texas is that uh, we don't have a lot of young people who vote. Right. A, A lot of young people don't aren't really empowered in Texas, how do we change that? Not only so that they're not opportunity youth, right? They're actually moving into empowered youth, uh, but also we just get voting up amongst young people. How does that change in Texas, Travis?
3: Yes, I think it's important that we uh, really focus and target those spaces where young adults hang and are, are uh, from college campuses, you know, you know, going out in those Local neighborhoods where they are underserved and really provide that education for them um I think an important part is connecting to their story, always thinking about that narrative change. How do we really hear their stories, but also share with them how their story and their vote really drives change, understanding you know what's on the ballot, who are those. Um, members or those council members that we need to vote for, and just being a part of that process, um, really really helping them understand that their one vote matters. And if we can get one young adult to catch on, we can see it a, a trickle-down effect. Uh, that's why it's important that we also uh, share you know, our mission at, at Young Invincible. How can we get those young adults connected to our program so they can really understand the importance of that civic engagement piece and how it intersects with all of our other issue areas as well?
2: Yeah, just like you said, Travis, a lot of youth I speak with, it's instant gratification. So really having them understand what the long-term impact could look like um, and what that vote means for the long haul and why it matters that they keep showing up with wins and with losses because it is hard when you see even – your person win, you see a champion, but understanding the process that it's still going to take time to see that change. Travis, when you speak of healthcare and just all of your issues, thinking of school level uh, problems, if you had those that could write curriculum and institute more in schools and knowledge of schools, where would you really push for more teens to have open to exposure in healthcare, in um, policy and advocacy in these Texas classrooms?
3: Yeah, when we think about health care, we're really thinking about the access to health care, really helping un- uh, young adults understand the access that they have. And also we want to push for it to be more affordable for uh, young adults. Uh, we're thinking about reproductive care, uh, the challenges that we experience as a state here around reproductive health care and educating folks about that and the access to that. But another important thing is mental health uh mental health we noticed that a lot of our young adults experience this as a challenge for themselves, and they don't know you know what services uh that I can get you know from my yeah.
1: oh oh no, I think we lost Travis. So, But Travis. he was really good while he was there, right? I know. Travis I... Evans, uh, Southern Regional Director <laughs> of the Young Invincibles. Thank you very much for being on the Growing Up in America program today. And Claire, why did you hang up on him? What, what was that all I about? I did not. I was getting excited. <laughs> I, I
2: didn't silence you, Travis, I promise. And I'm excited to hear that you're expanding access to just knowledge, I feel like. Um you go online and just general search for resources, but
1: having that place you can go is helpful for teams. Be teens. careful when you're on the air with Clear. That's no, I I'm am. Not. Just, I'm just saying that. So, hey, coming up after the break, Kathy Byers is with us. She's the government relations officer at the Houston Food Bank. We're going to be talking food insecurity. It's it's one of your favorite subjects, isn't it? I mean, it is. Anything to, to
2: elevate important topics.
1: Very good. We'll be right order. back. <music> Rico's really doing it up with the Taylor Swift today. Person of the year. Yeah, so... uh, Well, we promise not to do all Taylor Swift <laughs> all the time. So that's his uh, request. I think, uh, yeah, next up, we'll be doing some different house music. So Kathy Byers is on the line with us. Kathy is uh, the government relations officer at the Houston Food Bank. Kathy, I want, the big question I want to ask you, and thanks so much for being on uh, Growing Up in America today. But I wanted to ask you, uh, around food insecurity, you know, the question that I get asked, probably you get asked a lot as well, is, you know, with, uh, with SNAP, with free school breakfast and lunch, uh, with WIC, why is there? Why should people be hungry in America? And is why is there food insecurity as we speak? You know, we're we're in this very rich state in this very rich country, and yet we have. It seems like we have significant food insecurity. What's the deal, Kathy?
4: Well, good afternoon, and thank y'all so much for having me here. And yeah, that's that's an excellent question, and that's because uh, food insecurity can't be solved by food. What yeah. what drives it is economic insecurity. But food food's the most flexible expense for families who don't have enough income to get to get by. Right? You can't pay in rent, binary choice. You pay it, you don't, you're evicted. Yeah. Food, you can buy less nutritious food, you can put water in your milk. If you're a parent, you can not eat so your kids can eat. Um, so uh, you know, as important as Conversations around redirecting food waste, additional emergency commodities for food banks are, that is a – it's a temporary measure if if that's all we're focused on.
1: I I remember – Oh, it must've been 15 years ago or more that I went and spoke to the board of directors at the Houston food bank. And, you know, Brian had invited me and I think Ben Samuels was maybe the chair of the board at the time. And we talked about this idea of solving hunger in America is so much more than getting access to food. And do you think that in 15 years, we've made much progress in Houston and America? I mean, Certainly, the food bank is a better place than it used to be in terms of logistics and getting more food out the door and doing great things. But I wonder if if you know those that live in poverty are still still have significant food insecurity?
4: Yeah, you know, our theory of change, both the Houston Food Bank as well as all the, the food banks who are part of the Feeding America Network. We really shifted. Um, we, we used to think that if we're if we just distributing enough food, if we just get enough food and get it out there, um, since there is far more wasted and surplus food than there is hunger, food, food banks could just channel all that through our through our partners and on any gift day, you know, folks are going to have what they need, hence, hence no, no hunger. Um, but we were wrong, and, and we certainly have shifted and, and seen shifts. Um, to more programs that, uh, help families to lift themselves out of, out of poverty, out of economic insecurity. But there, there are limits to, to what we're able to do. Cause the truth is this isn't about, um, just a function of, I guess, the traditional way that, that folks think about poverty. The, the majority of families who are for, food insecure have at least one working adult. Individuals on SNAP Mm -hmm. are in the service industry. They're construction workers, administrative assistants. You know, folks don't have access to adequate, consistent income. And the benefits to support themselves when they're sick, uh, they need to stay home and and take care of a a sick and and aging parent. So, you know, this is about an income gap, not not a food gap. And I I was so appreciative that that y'all invited me on the show because I'm seeing... On the news, more and more conversations about food waste, and if we just redirect mm-hmm. that, we will mm-hmm. solve hunger, and that is a hundred percent important effort. Absolutely, but it is it is temporary and will not help to shift the trajectory. Of, of food insecurity. Yeah,
2: so true. Right. And even thinking, I know either last week or the week before we were talking about food deserts and even, well, if we just rerouted healthier food to these areas or more education, then that would be the silver bullet. And so really looking whole scale is exciting. Where have you seen, or where would you like to see more partners tied in into this effort um, that can concentrate more on solving poverty as a holistic subject?
4: So, you know, I mean, I think the organizations, the nonprofits, advocacy organizations, like y'all, have been been great partners over the years. That's not, to me, where where the challenge lies. It, it lies in in all the other you know amazing folks who are listening to your show. We we need our average community member to be elevating this conversation as important as as it is to donate and hold food drives. We need folks to be talking about the connection between economic security and food security, and we need them to be elevating that conversation to their to their elected officials um, that that really is there's so as, as y'all know if it's just a few of us up in Austin or up in d c having this conversation it it just can't have the substantial impact that Folks en mass, right? Community members en masse having this, this conversation and not, not allowing it to be redirected into areas that, that are, that are band-aids. Cause, cause mm-hmm. the truth is unemployment, uh, you know, the cost of housing, high eviction rates. I mean, this is driving more and more folks into, into food insecurity, despite the fact that, you know, we have, we have more food at our disposal than than we have in,
1: in the past. You know, Kathy, I, I think it's interesting, you know, people wonder if there's, you know, where the proof is on this. And you just have to go back to during the pandemic where uh, a lot of sort of rules around food were lifted. But not only that, the 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 government under President Trump sent funds out to everyone, sort of these uh Checks, right? The stimulus checks mm-hmm. that everyone got. Uh, we had the child tax credit that went on for taxes. It's almost like we tried all of these during that time. And what we saw is this significant lowering of poverty. Uh, we saw children that, you know, there was less food insecurity in our, in our country because we were doing all these things. And right today, as we speak, you get a lot of people uh, that get up in arms about the potential for fraud when it comes to people who get SNAP and so forth, when indeed, or or any sort of uh, government checks, when indeed, what we saw during the pandemic is the fraud was really on the side of those that had more money, who were trying to get more stimulus checks and and more money out of the federal government uh, via fraud. It, it was it was people on the wealthy side. It wasn't those that were living in poverty. And it I think it's interesting that we certainly, to sort of prove the point that uh, if we if we're able to give poor people money focused on getting them out of poverty, it tends to work.
4: Absolutely, I mean the the child tax credit, the expanded child tax credit, lifted millions of children out of poverty. And if yeah. you think about that as a sustained effort, the positive impact that has on graduation rates attendance rate and the ability of that to translate into money into our economy yeah. so even if you your your value system does not uh, tend to think just about folks who are hungry think about your economy and mm-hmm. the benefits not snap alone has an economic benefit and so as we erode away uh, as we don't continue to, to support things like the child tax credit um uh, raising wages um we're we're doing ourselves a disservice so this isn't what some folks might consider like a bleeding heart heart issue this is an
2: economic issue for our country
1: yeah do you have a final super quick question claire for kathy
2: um i can think of one kathy if you had seven just Houston area legislators or people in a room that could get information out of the community tomorrow and get people excited. What is the one piece of information you'd want the community to know just in the Houston area?
4: In the Houston area, I'd want them to know that the crisis in housing, um, um lack of, of, of childcare, um, is, is going to un- undermine the growth of of this community. So we need to get really serious about addressing, in particular, those two issues. Kathy,
1: Kathy, what you just said to me is the very essence of why I love the Houston Food Bank, right? Because you're addressing... the the big picture of poverty, right? You're looking at the big picture of poverty. I mean, so many times we have people on the show that go right back to what is the stuff that they're doing. But I love, you know, when you have organizations like yours and ours, and we could just sort of talk big picture. These are the things that we need to do. These are some of the issues. So uh, congratulations to you, Kathy, and to Brian and everyone out there who we love so much uh, for the great work that you guys are doing. Houston Food Bank, the largest food bank in the world. And arguably, and the arguably the best. Exactly, <laughs> Kathy Byers
2: so I didn't hang up on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't make that a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, she did a good job, right? She loves you. So, oh Kathy Byers, uh, go- government relations officer, Houston Food Bank. Thank you, Kathy, for being on the Growing Up in America program. Thank you very much. All right, take care. You're listening to Growing Up in America, KPFT Pacifica Radio. Coming up after the break, we're going to go right into the data of the day one hundred thirty one thousand seven hundred and ninety seven Laila Mazzali will be with us. We'll be right back. All right. You're listening to Growing Up in America on KPFT, Pacifica Radio. On the line with us is Layla Mazzali. She's the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children at Risk. And uh, 131,797. What's that all about, Layla?
5: Um, Well, it's another sad number, unfortunately, this week. Um, From last School year twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two, and well, I guess not this school year. <laughs> the school year prior, twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three, um, the number of students who are identified as economically disadvantaged increased by that number one hundred and thirty one thousand oh, wow. seven hundred ninety seven.
1: Is that is that across the state of Texas? Is that what we're talking about, Layla? School students? That are... is
5: across the state of Texas in our public schools.
1: Wow, very good. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? One hundred and thirty one thousand yeah. new. Children that are economically disadvantaged. What is uh what's the reasoning behind that do we think, Layla?
5: Um, well, you know, there could be a lot of reasons there. So it's not even necessarily, you know, new students coming in. Um so in over the last ten years, um, the number of students who are identified as economically disadvantaged surpassed the percentage increase in the overall student population. So the overall student population over the last 10 years has increased about 8.7%, whereas the percentage increase in economically disadvantaged students is 11.8%. So we are getting new students, but also we are, uh, the students who are already enrolled in public schools are struggling more financially than in their family. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think we're all kind of feeling it, you know, at the, at the grocery store, at the gas pump, all of these different places where living has just gotten a lot more expensive.
1: Claire, one of the things that you and I know sort of as working within the public education sector is that kids that are economically disadvantaged are sort of starting out behind the eight ball. So when you have this growth of kids that are economically disadvantaged, it means that we have a greater percentage of the children in our schools that are struggling to get ahead.
2: Yeah. Thinking about if you have to worry about outside resources or things are struggling outside of the classroom, when you carry that in, it hinders your learning. It's harder to pay attention if you didn't get adequate sleep. And um that's just one very small, very minor example. But things start to bubble up. Access to adequate, healthy meals and breakfast and lunch. Um Yeah, and so seeing this number rise, and I know, Leila, you have data that since 2012, it was 11%. I mean, as a teacher, I'm even thinking this is one small piece of an at-risk student, and the at-risk numbers have also seen jumps. And so what are we doing um to support these students inside, but also outside the classroom? Because a school is an epicenter of support, but should not be the sole responsibility of supporting Um, getting these students out of economically disadvantaged situations
1: lately i saw a number recently which was that uh, there are about half a million children in texas uh that live in households where the income is less than ten thousand dollars a year and so we could talk about economically disadvantaged and what that means but the fact that half a million kids are are sort of severely uh sort of living in extreme poverty that can't bode well for those kids
5: no, absolutely not. And, you know, we're also seeing um, increases in the number of homeless youth who are attending public schools. And, you know, the the toll of housing insecurity definitely shows up in kids showing up to school ready and able to learn.
2: Yeah, I mean, thinking big picture, schools are a powerful powerhouses. I don't know why I said like that, but to me, because they should, they're, they're there to educate and they're provide an education, but they become these connectors and these centers of support. And honestly, any connection and extra thing that they're doing is exemplary thinking about they could track this information, but it's not their responsibility as a state to solve it. It's our government and our systems outside that really should be looking inward and not pointing to the school of, oh, well, you should be connecting to more housing or addressing food hunger as a school um, rather than maybe we should look deep in our system barriers.
1: Interesting stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Layla Le- Mazzali is the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children at Risk. Layla, thank you once again for the data of the day. Uh, on no weather today. No, oh yeah, Layla. How's the weather in California, by the way?
5: Uh, it is sunny and mild, Doctor
2: oh, Bob. God. Course, sunny, so that's going to be the new segment, Sunny and Mild. Sunny data. and Mild with
1: Layla <laughs> with, with Mazzali. We'll see you next time. Hey, coming up after the break, uh, we're going to be visiting with uh, Shabra Lee She is the Director of Mental Health and Wellness at Communities and Schools. And we're going to be talking about children and the holiday break. Uh, we'll see you in just a minute right after the break here on Growing Up in America. Right On the line with us is Dr. Enley. She is the Director of Mental Health and Wellness at Communities and Schools. Dr. Enley, you know what? I always wonder, is it Shubra or Shubra? And I know I've probably asked you that half a dozen times. Oh,
6: you know, uh, and another disclaimer that there's no doctor in front of my oh, name. Oh. I get an honorary doctorate if anybody wants to offer one out there. Uh, but my, <laughs> thanks for asking. My name is pronounced Shubra.
1: Shubra. All right. Yeah. So, There you go. I'm going to forget it again. You know that, Shubra. We will keep the honorary doctorate. (laughs) That's okay. So uh, I know that you're dealing with lots of kids in the schools. And Mm -hmm. what do you do, especially with low-income kids, uh, as you prepare for the holidays? What are some of the worries that people may not be used to thinking about for kids as they go away for the holidays? I, I think in relation to, uh, you know, we were talking to Kathy Byers earlier from mm-hmm. the Houston Food Bank, there is there is a significant amount of hunger, uh, certainly mm-hmm. food insecurity, because you're not getting your regular free breakfast, free lunch for kids that are in low-income households.
6: Yes, I was listening to some of the uh, statistics, the new uh, numbers, and they are pretty alarming. Uh, so for us in the schools, because we have the uh, student support specialists embedded on the 163 schools uh, in the six school districts uh, and Lone Star College campuses, what we are able to do when we have a student and, and family in that food insecurity situation, we try to connect them with uh, resources. And one of our partners is the Houston Food Bank. So some of our elementary schools, we do have like the Backpack Buddies program. Yeah, yeah. So that would mean we'd be uh, sending home the younger kids with backpacks with food. And then also um, we've done large like food drives on some of the campuses in partnership with the school administration and uh, and the Houston Food Bank. So, I mean, that's those are yeah. some kind of uh, solutions.
1: And uh, What's the big it's, worry, it's though, for a, kids? Is is there a biggest worry that you have as a mental you know, health professional? Right.
6: Right now we're just seeing a lot, like an immense amount of just the grief every since yeah. I mean even though we're 4 years after, you know, the almost 4 years after the original pandemic shutdown, you know, those there's just still a, you know a lot of loss and grief and some of it it could just be because there's community violence, domestic violence, you hear things, you know, often on the news and when you see those, like, those stories of violence and different things, there's a child in those homes and the, that child goes to school the next day or a week after whenever the incident has taken place. So that's the, that's one of the biggest needs. So, you know, we have our full-time mental health specialists on some of the campuses. We have, uh, the team that I supervise, a mobile mental health team that works and provides uh, intensive, uh, uh, counseling uh, directly on the campus. Then we also have like a partnership with both place to do uh grief support groups right on the school campus, but it's never enough. And so if, you know, if you are a family right now that, um, is, uh, has lost a loved one, uh, someone special, then with the holidays coming up, that takes some preparing and so we've been working with our students one-on-one to prepare them for the holidays but just remembering that that's a tough time for for a lot of people and it's okay for those feelings and memories to come up and we remind our students and families that it's okay to have some kind of a tradition or tribute during the holidays um when when those memories are are, are very
2: yeah harsh I know. I Last week, I love communities and schools and that you all are able to join us. I know we spoke about being pro-break and pro-rest and relaxation and ignoring learning for a second just to be with family. Mm-hmm. Thinking of what you've seen in the past school year, and as you said, these, um, this grief is just exacerbated and students, at least what I've heard from Pulse of other organizations, are feeling more apathetic or checked out earlier on in the school year. Mm-hmm. What would you really urge students, school staff, families to um, have a fresh start over this break? To have a stronger start in twenty four, just for mental health, mm. I I would recommend um, you know it, for all of us, adults
6: and uh, children, sleep is a big contributor to uh, like it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. Did I not did I sleep too late and that's why I feel off, or do I feel off and now it's affecting my sleep? And mm. so even though you know some of the school districts are off for about ten to eleven days. And and then when you have those teacher prep days, the kids may be off for about 13, 14 days, Mm -hmm. still trying to maintain some kind of a schedule, at least towards the end of the break, trying to get back on schedule so that it's not such a abrupt, oh, got to wake up at five, six in the morning to get to to the bus or uh, to get to school. The other piece is those devices, you know, we're spending a lot of time on our phones, on our laptops, um, tablets. And so when we do have time to gather, uh, like if it's for a meal, like having some just device-free time is, is really important. And the other thing, you know, one of the, in the past, I would say, what, 10, 12 years, our green spaces have really grown here in Houston. Mm. And taking advantage, we are lucky, we kind of have the same weather they're having in California, <laughs> maybe a little cooler. Uh, but, it's you know, it's sunny. We, hopefully we have a couple of these sunny perfect days and um, every community definitely as they have schools has some sort of green space or park space and to take advantage of that and get outdoors that's really great for our brain health mental health as well
2: wow yeah even thinking like you said devices I'm, this is a huge mm-hmm. reroute but I'll bring it back a big reality TV fan I notice when I watch anyone under the age of 18 the whole show is on their phone they're not at the dinner table oh, wow. at the event yeah. And Mm -hmm. they won't even point it out. Now it's not even a, we're always on the screen. It's just a natural move. I even was talking to my roommate as I would. Mm -hmm. I don't envy right now growing up where the whole world is at your hands. Mm -hmm. Literally, we dealt with just Mm -hmm. local um, online trolls. And now it could be someone five worlds away. How would you recommend, because I know now it really, it's a crutch, even with social anxiety to have your phone. How would you, someone who's more isolated, recommend just getting off and practicing wellness um, trying to really get in their mind that it, it's so minuscule in that online world doesn't matter as much to your larger life. Yeah, that, we see we that a lot with our students that a lot of the negative, um,
6: either be it full-out bullying or negative communication or absorbing things that are not healthy is happening through the phone in their hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, it depends on the age of who we're talking about. You know, even as a, an adult you know, we have trouble putting our phone away or down or not doom scrolling or, you know, getting on some kind of social media and reading all the comments and then feeling even worse about the world. I think that's hard to do as an adult. So if you are, if you have a younger child in your charge, then helping them create some boundaries with the phone use, how much time are they spending? Where are they spending time? As a parent of a, especially children under like the age of 10, 11, we are seeing that they're getting phones earlier and some of it's safety because parents are, you know, concerned. You hear like sometimes just the buses, making sure the kids get home. Okay. Right. They want their child to have a, some kind of a device. And, but then how do you, how do you, um, you've got to have those limits of like, what, what are you allowing on their phone? Do they need Instagram at the age of 10 or nine? Um, those are
1: the kinds of things. One last question I wanted to ask before we leave is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it used to be that when, when a lot of us grew up, we didn't know we were poor, right? We were just growing up and, and we were poor, but we just didn't get it. Right. I I wonder if that has changed for kids these days, you know, with social media, uh, everything that happens on, yeah, I I wonder if these days a a child growing up poor sort of begins to recognize it and what what is the impact or are children just always sort of oblivious and resilient at the same time
6: you know some of the research that's out there on the like just the social media impact on our on like emotional well-being of young people in general doesn't matter if you're from with a child living in poverty or a child living in, in a wealthier situation it's definitely uh creating this kind of, I mean, we've heard those terms like fear of missing out FOMO. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it does create more before we just compared to the people in a certain sphere. Right. Yeah. And so that's always been there, but now that sphere has gotten bigger. And I, I think that is causing in a way we think we're connected, but we're actually kind of more lonely as a planet right? hate. We're not, yeah. we're not connecting in the ways we should, you know, like just because we listen to some influencer, or follow them, is that a true connection um, how do we, uh, you know, coach our, our, our children, our students to still be active in some kind of sports or your, there's a theater department or any kind of activity in the school? And, yes, sometimes in higher resourced schools, you're going to see more of those activities that kids can engage in um, versus like a lower resource school. It's a little bit of a struggle, but I do think there's some great programs out there, um, or just even like bring some of the um, great theaters and arts, like, the you know, Houston grand yeah. operas out yeah. there trying to get into the schools and create residencies for students. We just, you know, met with them this week and heard about some neat programming. Awesome. So there are, you know, those are the ways to yeah. kind of mitigate that damage that you're talking about. Well,
1: I, to, you know. I, I love the ideas that you have for families. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, and just sort of taking advantage of that, that's so important for the mental health of the kids. Shabra and Lee is uh, the director of mental health and wellness with one of the great organizations uh, in our state communities and schools. Uh, she's here in Houston. Thank you very much for all the work that you do, Shabra, and for all the work that uh, thanks, everyone does thanks at
6: communities for, and Thanks schools. for having me back and happy <laughs> and happy holidays and, And and y'all have
1: a great season. Thank you. Thanks for being on Growing Up in America. Coming up after the break, we're going to be visiting with uh, Lindsay Wilkerson. She's the Director of Health and Special Projects with Children at Risk. We'll be talking about children and health after the break. that's music that's what i'm talking about right there right there you
2: could be second person of
1: the year <laughs> <laughs>
2: not first
1: <laughs> uh, you're listening to growing up in america kpft it's claire dutre along with dr bob uh here doing the program um what are you doing for for the holidays? By the way, Claire, what are you gonna? I, they're coming up sooner than we think.
2: I know. Well, it's my favorite because it's birthday, Christmas Eve, Christmas. So I have the Holy Trinity of holidays coming yes, up. Yes. Um, and I always go home. I'm excited. This is the first time my family's together since last Christmas. Actually, that's a lie. My oldest brother is ditching us, but <laughs> most of my family is together. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I'm just spending time with them.
1: Okay. Is your older brother listening Are you trying to give him a little guilt? Is that? I'll send, the deal? It to, I'll send him the soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Hey, on the line with us, uh, Lindsay Wilkerson. She's the director of health and special projects with uh, children at risk. And uh, Lindsay, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you. How are y'all doing?
1: We're fantastic. We excited to
2: talk about health.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about some of the key health things with children that are going on right now, Lindsay.
0: Yeah, so some of the key priorities that we're focused on are looking at food insecurity, so ensuring that all kids have access to high-quality nutritional foods, Um, mental health, so improving access to mental health um, supports and services in schools and out of schools for all children across the state, maternal health, so ensuring that all Mothers have access to high quality prenatal and postpartum care, and then also just access to care in general. We know that there's a number of barriers in access to health care across the state, especially for those children that live in rural communities. And so what are some of those barriers and how can we address those?
2: Lindsay, I know we're going to divert to all, but I want to talk about maternal health. Before our show, we heard, Um, Something a little bit about a post Roe v. Wade overturn world with the fear of already seeing us behind in maternal health as a nation. And then with some other conversations coming up that are quite frightening just to women's health in general. Where have you seen organizations or momentum around continuing to support um, positive outcomes for women in women's health?
0: I think because of a lot of the data, especially in Texas, that has been released about maternal health outcomes, there's been a really big push to rally around this issue and to dive into these alarming statistics, which, you know, do not put Texas in a good position in terms of how we're caring for mothers. And I think there's been a lot of community grassroots efforts as well to bring um, community members together with community partners to educate them on how they can advocate for themselves, how they can better support these initiatives and these programs that will ultimately produce better maternal health outcomes.
1: Um, Lizzie, I think one of the interesting things as you talk about health and children and access to care is that I think a lot of Texans don't really realize that we're only one of 10 states that have decided not to expand Medicaid, which is a federally funded program, which would bring millions of dollars into our state for mental health, for children's health, for health all across the board, maternal health. And we continue to say no for this sort of petty little political idea that we don't want to expand Medicaid because it was a democratic idea at some point. And I'm wondering. Uh, what would happen? I mean, cause we've seen other red States that have sort of stayed red, but they voted, Hey, we want to receive this, these federal health funds. What would happen if more Texans understood what the deal was here, Lindsay?
0: I think it would be a significant impact, um, with the Medicaid unwinding that we've seen, um, that's over half a million Texas that were removed from Medicaid health coverage in June, Um, That was based off of the release numbers by Texas Health and Human Services. And so that's a really high number of Texans that are no longer insured. And we know that if you're no longer insured, that you're not receiving access to medical care. And so when we're talking about challenges like maternal health and our high maternal mortality rate and infant mortality rate, if we're seeing over half a million Texans that aren't insured, we're going to continue to see alarming statistics in terms of these um, mortality rates.
1: And I always think it's interesting, right, that when you look at developed countries, uh, Houston is the most uninsured city of all the developed countries in the world, right? And so we look at Texas, and, you know, I'm guessing that Dallas is number two on that list and the San Antonio is number three. Uh, You know, Texas sort of, uh, leads the pack in these uninsured groups, but it's something that we don't talk about. I mean, we're as Texans, we're super proud of Texas. You know, we love this vibrant economy, but there's so many children and families that are being left behind without access.
0: Yes. And you know, a lot of it is due to procedural reasons. There's a lot of red tape that is preventing people from having access to health coverage. And, You know, we know that healthy people are going to be healthy workers. They're going to show up better as students in the classroom. And so overall, we're going to see better outcomes, not just in health, but in their education and their economic opportunities. All of these things that are going to positively impact, you know, economics yeah. in Texas.
2: Yeah, I think it's always ironic to me when I go abroad, they say, like, you have the best health care system. We go to Texas. We travel to Texas. I'm like, well, people in Texas can't even access that advanced health care. So I'll tell you about that. Or even if you are insured, the um, red tape to even get into a doctor's office on a copay. But thinking large scale, where have you, have you seen less divisiveness? Thinking of Medicaid expansion, there is this underlying just, juxtaposition of, like, when you talk about mental health needs in schools, and that's where it's pointed to, but now it's but we don't want to expand Medicaid, which could directly serve that. Same for maternal health, when you have these restrictions and um, pregnancies need to go through, but there's no access for women to get insured past then. And so have you seen more of a middle ground being reached or it's just becoming more divisive in solution? I think it
0: depends on which particular area you're looking at, but there has been a lot of divisiveness. And so I think you've seen a lot of, Organizations that have been meeting some of those gaps in terms of services provided. And so there's a lot of wraparound services that are providing mental health care supports in schools that are partnering with districts and after school programs to ensure that there are mental health supports in place or even health programs, um, hospitals and community clinics that are reaching out and building partnerships with ISDs to ensure that students have access to these kinds of supports because they're not built into the system or they don't have access through the general structure that is provided across the state. And so I think we really see a lot of community organizers who are working with these um, local organizations to ensure that, as best as they can, that needs are being met and that they're filling those gaps. It's just much more challenging, yeah. you know, based off of the limited resources that are available.
1: So, Lindsay, uh, as we finish up, uh, we always want to ask our final guest the five most fun questions we could think of. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, I wanted to ask you what did you want to be growing up, uh, Lindsay?
0: You know, I actually don't know what I wanted to be. I am not sure. I can't recall anything, so you I don't, don't have don't remember answer for <laughs> you. you.
1: You never wanted to be like a princess or a, a doctor, a, a veterinarian or anything? Director of health.
0: I think my earliest memory, I think, was maybe in fourth grade, and yeah. I wanted to be a CEO, and that's all I remember. So anything you're on track. Anything prior to that, I I don't recall.
1: I <laughs> that's re- actually a perfect answer. I remember. Um, I think when I had moved from Puerto Rico back to the states in high school, and I heard someone say that they have a PhD, and I thought that's what I want a PhD. <laughs> and then someone smarter than me said a PhD in what, Bobby? And I'm like. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what that is. You <laughs> You're know?
2: like, no, I just want that. I just know I want
0: one. <laughs> I know.
2: Lindsay just wants to be CEO. Just want to read. Um, I'm skipping down. What is your favorite book?
0: That is a tough one. Um, too many We're favorites not- to home- choose from, but I think one of my favorites that I've read in the past few years was Cast by oh,
1: yeah. Isabel Walker. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Write it down. Um, as we approach the holidays, what, what's one of the f- – the one film that you or your family always wants to watch during the holiday season. Do you have a favorite Lindsay?
0: We, we typically, at least a grouping of us will watch Miracle on 34th street. Oh, the original,
1: the original one with Natalie Wood yes. as the little girl. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the only
0: way to
2: go.
1: Yeah. What's your favorite Claire, your favorite holiday
2: um, film? My family always watches a Christmas story, but I'm kind of yeah. worn out from that. Yeah. And my Santa Claus too is probably my favorite. Seneca. you know we've been t-
1: watching love actually a lot you know? oh
2: that's a great it does make me cry yeah. <laughs> i want that's a good pandemic. cry i'll and, watch
1: that uh you know during the pandemic the, a, a subgroup of us rented out a movie theater you know oh, you were wow. able to do that it yeah. was really cheap you know yeah, and yeah. what when we divided it up it was like three dollars each and we had them show love actually and it was really it was that's a so, special moment so i still think about that as, as sort of a, a, a good thing uh the final su- the final. Question is uh, the final song. What's your go to karaoke song, Lindsay? Because I know you love know to sing.
0: Thing. Yes, that's just my favorite pastime. Um, hmm, I think most recently I sang Juice by Lizzo.
2: We what? have to get Lindsay in a karaoke mic. She's gives, she gave Baby Got Back as her last answer. So oh, oh, really? We're doing a car karaoke night.
1: Oh, I, So she's done these <laughs> questions. Lindsay's done these questions. No, before. it was on a Energizer first half meeting. Oh, first staff meeting. I won't oh, forget. Very good. Hey, that's it for us today. Thank you, Lindsay, very much for being on the Growing Up in America program. And uh, thanks to you and your whole team for the work that you guys are doing. Um, good show today, Claire. It
2: was. Yeah, I, I think tomorrow good. or tomorrow. Next week's our Christmas show.
1: Oh, is that what we're doing? Are we doing, are we doing like the whole holiday, all the songs and everything? Have we decided what we're doing yet? There used to be a whole holiday spectacular that we used yeah. to do for growing up in America. I
2: believe so. I'm thumbs upping that now and hope I'm right. Might be two
1: weeks. <laughs> Very good. Hey, we do this each and every week for children. For children. We'll see you next time on Growing Up in America.
4: with the dream my card again welcome to the land of frame access
5: support the blues with 14 hours of blues programming music a week and it continues
1: to support musicians and clubs alike. It broadcasts programming that you just don't hear anywhere else in Houston or the Gulf Coast. This is Holland K. Smith and I'd love for you to listen in and consider joining the global movement by contributing to KPFT. You can call 713-526-5738 or go to the website kpft.org
3: and hit the donate now button.
7: this is Colleen from and the Blues, and here are a few music happenings for the week of January 1st. I'd like to wish everyone a happy and healthy 2024. On Tuesday, January 2nd, John Egan will be performing at the Mucky Duck, and there are jams at Dan Electro's, Emmett's Place, and The Hideaway. On Wednesday, January 3rd, you can catch Jams at the Big Easy, Buffalo Grill, Katie's, and Green Oaks Tavern. On Thursday, January 4th, The Mighty Ark will be at the Big Easy, Wrong Bird at the Continental Club, Mackenzie Phillips at Dosey Doe Big Barn, Copperhead Jones at Dosey Doe Whiskey Bar, Chad Ware at Katie's, Lemon Yellow Sun at Main Street Crossing, Band on the Run at the Big Top, and John Fulbright will perform the 7 p.m. show at the Mucky Duck, and Pat Byrne will follow for the late show. On Friday, January 5th, Paul Bodeker and David Fall will be at Brookstore Barbecue on Montrose, Crank Up the Silence and Doug Westcott at the Continental Club, Joe Greer at Dosy Doe Big Barn, Bubba Reeves at Dosido Whiskey Bar, Paul Ramirez, Corey Tice, and Tal Hazon at Green Oaks Tavern, The Classics at Katie's, Mike Dawes at Main Street Crossing, and Jaleandro Escovedo will perform the early show at the Mucky Duck on Friday and Saturday night. Also on Saturday, January 6th, Bowie Elvis Fest will be happening at the Continental Club and the Big Top, Back in Black at do Doe Big Barn, Cody Joe Hodges at do Doe Whiskey Bar, Brian Scatochi at the Big Easy, The Mighty Ark at Green Oaks Tavern, Chris Castaneda at Katie's, and Authority Texas at Main Street Crossing. That's a glimpse of what's happening in our area. For the complete calendar, visit kpft.org. We include all genres of music, so if you'd like your event included in the music calendar, send as much information as far in advance as possible to blueshound at kpft.org. Let's all do our part to support live music.
5: And you feel real hurt